I'm excited to be here this morning. Thanks to Pastor Michael for the invitation to share some thoughts in the series of hope this morning. I've entitled this morning's message, Hope When the Struggle is Real. When the struggle is real. Let's turn to Genesis chapter three, verses eight and nine. It's a fascinating text that starts us out here. It says, when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. And God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? It's a question that echoes down throughout time. The question of where are you? It's actually the first recorded question in all of scripture. God asking man, where are you? It suggests that you're somewhere where you weren't previously, that something has changed, that God was not geographically challenged. He was not lost in his own garden. He knew where they were. But as you look through scripture, we serve a God who tends to ask questions not because he doesn't know the answer, but because we need to reflect on the answer. A God who understands that it's questions that open the portals to the deepest parts of our souls and leads us to quietness, leads us to actually reflect on things of God. So we ask, where are you? Have you been there? Emotionally, where you're just kind of like, I don't know where I am. There's a sense of disorientation. You know, I think of the illustration of sitting in class, and I think we've all been there, where the message may not have been as riveting as we would have liked, and our mind goes elsewhere. We drift off, and the teacher calls us and says, hey, Justin, can you read the next section? And you, you freeze, you go, uh, yeah, teach. Um, seems like we were right. I I'm sorry, I was someplace else, right? I was someplace else. The mind can drift into other directions. And I kind of have this picture in the garden that not only were things different in fundamental ways as they hid for the first time from an encounter that was the highlight of their day every evening. It mentions God is strolling in the cool of the garden. I mean, you get that picture. This was an encounter that they looked forward to every evening. And now something was different. See, they were physically present, but they were mentally someplace else. They were experiencing emotions that they had not experienced before. You see, in paradise, joy is kind of a given. And sometimes it's been said that to understand joy, you have to go through pain. But I would suggest that they understood joy just fine without having experienced pain. But now something was different because fear had entered in, which probably highlighted what it must have been like to feel calm before. Guilt had entered in 
when freedom from guilt was something that they had experienced before. What was that like for them? That separation of, I hear the footsteps of God, but I don't feel the same way as they draw closer. I don't feel the same way. The separation was profound. You see, the hard thing about the mental side, the emotional side, is that there's no wheelchairs when there's mental anguish. There's no bandages. There's no Band-Aids. We see this today when individuals struggle with anxiety and depression. They look like the rest of us. There's nothing to indicate I'm hurting. There are no fig leaves to cover emotional distress. But in this situation, there was emotional distress. I want to talk about mental this morning. You see, I'd suggest that from that moment, we haven't been mentally right since. You see, if mental wellness is what was experienced by Adam and Eve before sin, I would suggest that humanity has been mentally ill ever since. If you think about the dialogue, God asked the question, they dodged the answers. They dodged the question, right? What happened? It was the, the woman that you, you gave me that led me to do what I did, that led me to sin. They began to scramble. Their answers were not rational. So that cool communion with God that they had experienced had suddenly changed. So in case you think I'm pressing this too far in terms of suggesting that we have not been mentally right since then, I give you a definition from the U.S. Surgeon General's Office of Mental Disorders. I want you to listen closely. It says, mental disorders are health conditions that are characterized by alterations in thinking, mood, or behavior, or some combination thereof, associated with distress and or impaired functioning. Sounds kind of like they were what they were going through in the garden, doesn't it? Alterations in thinking. God is to be feared. I am hiding. Alterations in mood. Their emotional experience was forever changed. And their behavior, they're hiding from their own maker. As if he does not know where they are. So what does that mean for us? You know, I think about the phenomenon of psychosis when individuals have had a break from reality and the things they're saying don't make sense. And we're trained to assess and be able to listen and and to help them with that. But to the general public, it seems nonsensical. Sometimes we call it word salad, right? It doesn't make sense. But if you look at the struggles that we have day to day, the truths that we have in the Bible and the times that we don't follow the promises of God. I often wonder what the angels think. I wonder if we sound psychotic to the angels, right? The Bible leads us in certain directions and we go, no, I think I'm, I think I'm good. 
right? The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. The angels watch us in these cycles. So before we get too comfortable with our own intellectual ability, think about it from the standpoint of heaven. Sin has created a ricochet effect down throughout Earth's history. And I want to look at the individual effects versus the ricochet effects of sin. I'll put this slide up here. One of my favorite authors, Mark McMinn, says, because of original sin, our passions are distorted and self-serving. Our thoughts are skewed. Our bodies are prone to disease and decay. And we live among the damage caused by others who are also prone to sin. Now, most of us have had the experience of going to a bumper car uh, track, right? We pay for this, right? We go to bumper cars, we get in, you can see they're having fun there. And there are some things that cause us to be able to feel safe yet still enjoy that experience of crashing into each other, right? The car has a governor on it. It can only go so fast. It's got these wonderful rubber bumpers around the outside that limit the impact of the damage. And so we can drive around and hit our loved ones. We can hit our kids. It's great, right? Like we have a lot of fun um, doing that. But what would happen if they said, so in this, for this particular round, don't worry about your seatbelt. We're going to go ahead and take that off. We're going to take off, off that little rubber ring around the outside and we'll release the governor. It'll probably go somewhere between 45 to 55 miles per hour. Enjoy yourself, right? It changes the game a little bit. It changes the game a little bit. Now, some of you I see smiling, you would still do it. But the impact is different. You see, sin not only has an individual impact, but it has a ricochet impact. The sins of others affect us for generations at times. Relationships and connections are changed as sin ricochets through our world. One has to only think about the impact of alcoholism on a family unit and what that does to children and to the next generation. You can see that impact across the family. Biological factors. Sin has impacted that. We're born with imperfect bodies. So it's not that far a stretch for me to suggest that we're born with mental illnesses, with mental deficiencies that did not exist as, we're, as we were created originally. Sin changes our ability to manage strong emotions, right? Emotions are good. They're what make us human. But then there's those strong emotions that come from different places that we're not sure how to manage. Our roommates know how we manage them, right? Because it spills over on them oftentimes, or our family members, or those who are closest to us, those who deserve it the least, feel the impact of our inability to manage or regulate strong emotions. And so anger and judgment can be passed from generation to generation. Those of you who've grown up in a home with a um, parent who had issues with anger or was negative or judgmental, it becomes part of the way you process things. You try to fight it, you try to move past it, but optimism doesn't seem to be your gift because the role of modeling in childhood is so strong. 
We think negatively. We think in ways that are not realistic. Our ability to think rationally, to be able to understand and ascertain what is true and what is false has been skewed. Our capacity for willful change becomes a struggle. Paul talks about this. The things that I would do, I don't. And the things that I should not, those I do. It changed everything. That moment in the garden, it changed everything. But this is a series on hope. So where is the hope when the struggle is real? Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27 share some insight into this. I want to read this in your hearing. In the same way, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the Spirit, I'm sorry, he who searches our hearts or minds, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What do you see in there? In our weakness, in our struggles, in our emotional ups and downs, God has made provision for us, amen? The Spirit is sent to help us in our weaknesses. You know, one of the things as a therapist or a counselor that um, I've experienced is meeting with someone and helping them through a particular struggle. It could be a trauma, it could be something um, that they are grieving. And after the session, sending up a prayer and praying, God help them to be able to have the courage to continue forward. Help them to be able to manage what is coming ahead. Help them to be able to navigate the blind spots that we're looking to walk through together. You see, because the client cannot see that at that point, right? They're wrapped up in grief. There are steps ahead that are going to get harder before it gets easier. But a counselor oftentimes is able to see a couple of steps ahead and be able to guide that person and navigate them into that space safely. And so I kind of look at the role of the spirit, being able to see a few steps ahead, being able to intercede for us with words with groans that we can't even get out, that we cannot even utter. See, God has made provision already, and there is hope when our struggle becomes real. When that voice calls down through time and says, where are you? When we've messed up, when we're hurting, perhaps it's the results of someone else's, someone else's actions, perhaps it's the results of our own, but we don't know what to do. And God has already provided the Spirit to intercede for us, to speak that which we cannot speak. Aren't you glad to know that we serve a God that knows us better than we know ourselves? It makes you wonder, why would we hide? Why do we spend so much time trying to fashion fig leaves to cover that which the all-seeing and all-knowing is already aware of? What is it about the nature of sin and our response to it that creates this sense of needing to hide from the safest person that you've ever known. So what is God's relationship to sickness 
and mental illness. It's a topic that we don't talk about a lot in church. I wish we talked about it more. But I want to highlight some thoughts as to how we can connect these two together, the God who created our minds with the God who seeks us today to restoration of our thoughts and our mental capacities. God seeks abundant life for all people, including people diagnosed with mental illness. Do you believe that? Do we sometimes go, well, this person struggles with depression or they struggle with schizophrenia or bipolar? You know, it's just as good as it gets. God seeks the abundant life for them as he does for you because the difference between them and you is really not that great in the eyes of heaven, right? We are all incapacitated relative to the way that we are created to function mentally. God does not abandon us at any stage of illness, disordered thinking, or mental health condition. He's with us every step of the way. That God with us is oftentimes the opportunity that we have to step into that space and be used by God to reach other people. So I don't want you to hear God with us as going, he'll send somebody else. But God with us means we are to stay open for the opportunity to be used by God to reach those who are struggling, to reach those who struggle may be more difficult than ours is at this point, or perhaps those who are struggling with something that we have already been through and are uniquely suited to help them with. God meets people where they are, not where they are not. Isn't that beautiful? Meets people where they are, not where they're not. We don't have to put on pretense to come to God. You know, one of the difficult things about depression and anxiety is that it tends to push us away from spirituality. Have you noticed that? Have you been through that? We feel too depressed to go to church, too depressed to seek the fellowship of others, because after all, we'll just bring them down with us. So we isolate at the point that we most need connection. And so we serve a God that wants to be there in those spaces, who wants to meet us where we are. Don't worry about putting on anything, right? Don't worry about getting to a better space so that you can seek me. Just come as you are. I'm suited for this condition, right? I've walked where you've walked. God calls us into kinds of wholeness that are pertinent to our genetic makeup, our psychological dispositions, our life experiences. And you can see this throughout the Bible, stories where God uniquely designs his interaction for the person that he's dealing with. That person is you. That person is me. That God has designed a specific treatment plan for your life. God is the great physician, deploys medical, pharmaceutical, and spiritual practices as he seeks to reconcile his children into a right relationship with him. I want to pause on this one for just a second. Because sometimes we struggle with this one. We go, we just need to pray. We don't need to take medications. Or we just need to do this or that. But we don't tend to do this with other areas of medicine, do we? Right? We don't just pray versus taking insulin when we've been diagnosed with diabetes. We somehow are able to conceptualize that the great physician has worked through science to provide remedies that offer healing to us. 
So let's not separate antidepressants from that category. These are ways that God has worked through mightily to be able to provide relief to those who are suffering. So the treatment plan may be, may be varied. It may involve all of the three. Spiritual practices, I believe, are always part of a returning to health. God calls us, like David, to walk with him through our emotional turbulence. Now, I want you to think about David for a second. One of the beautiful things about Psalms is David is raw. He's raw. You look at the life of David, a man after God's own heart, a murderer, an adulterer, somebody who got it wrong so many times. And one thing I want you to key in on is that walk in the cool of the garden that we talked about at the beginning. David got that. He got that. You see, only by walking in the intimacy of the cool of a garden can you say things like, Lord, break their teeth, (laughs) right? Take my enemy and break them in half. David says some raw things in Psalms. You should take some time and look it up. When David is angry, David tells God he's angry. When David feels like God has left him, he says, God, where are you at? I thought you were supposed to be here for me. Those are raw, honest conversations. It's hard to find a time when David detaches during his storm from direct, intimate communication with God. So I think there's a model there for us today. At the time that you feel that you need God the least, push into his presence the strongest. At that moment where it seems that he probably doesn't want to hear from you, move in his direction, whether it's, I don't know what to say, let me get a pen and paper and let me just write this out. Let me journal a letter to God in the midst of this storm because I can't figure this out and I can't even figure out why he'd want to hear from me right now, but I'm going to talk anyway. That's what God is asking us to do during our storms, amen? To reach out for him when we need him the most, to follow David's example. There's a quote from R.C. Waller. It says, when I look at the cross, we see a God so intent on loving and living with his people that he was willing to crawl into the deepest pit of suffering known to humanity so that all of humanity might know there is no darkness into which he will not give chase. No darkness into which he will not give chase. So have you been there where it felt like your darkness, where it felt like your pit was so deep that you just needed to be left alone? And when it says that that God crawled into the deepest pit of suffering known to humanity, I don't see that just as him coming to this earth through Jesus. But I see that as the moment in which he watched his son die, innocent, on the cross, the deepest pit known to humanity. So I want to ask a few questions of you this morning. Where are you? Ask the God who sees all, who knows your thoughts better than you do. Where are you? Ask the God who fashioned your very personality. Where are you? Ask the God who is familiar with your inner petty. 
who knows that when you get hurt, you tend to respond in some ugly ways. Where are you? Ask the God who is familiar with your strongest emotions. He knows how quickly they can overtake you. Where are you? Ask the God whose affirmation cannot compare with a million likes on social media. Where are you? Ask the God who walked your walk just so he could be able to say, I got you. I've been there. Where are you? Ask the God who is not fooled by your fig leaves. Where are you? Ask the God who wants to walk in the cool of the garden with you on the daily, simply because he enjoys you that much. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. Make sure to stay tuned for the Retake conversation dropping in your feed later this week. We hope that you have taken a hold of Jesus and realized that he has changed your heart and now you're going to walk this year with him. You can find us on Instagram at Elevate Retake and we'd love for you to leave us a voice message over on our Anchor app and engage with our question on Spotify if that's where you listen as well. You can find the links to those things all in the description. My name is Kelvin and I'll see you next time.